0: Hi, uh, good morning uh, to all you guys at Awaken City Church this morning. And uh, isn't it great to be together again? Here I am. I'm in um, a suburb of Portsmouth here in the UK, and I'm recording this. So I've spent a bit of time again in the Scripture of the Word, and, and we're just looking to share something from God's Word that I believe God wants to use to to speak into your heart, into your life, to do His work you know we know the holy spirit is the primary gospel worker he is working what jesus has done in our lives in our world among us between us he's doing the work and and he's inviting us to work with him because he doesn't work without our consent. He doesn't work without our engagement. He doesn't work without our, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And, and I'm here as, as in this role as the preacher, the teacher, the speaker, the, the communicator of God's truth. But I'm not here to take the place of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not here to take your place. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to to show you some things to bring out some things that God's working in my heart, but it's between you and God what you do with them. Uh, so there we go. I, I jump straight in. I'm I'm not very good at the the chatter. Uh, I do want to thank Fiona. gave me some feedback on glasses, so here we are. We're wearing this pair today, and I don't need them when I stand in front of you in church because I only need them for seeing up close. But I here we go. We're doing it different. And so this morning we're looking at Galatians. Chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 16. It's part of the story of how the gospel is being worked out, how it's got mixed up, and how it's being sorted out in the churches of Jesus Christ in Galatia, maybe 60 AD, um, maybe 10, 20 years into their existence. And the primary person involved with the Holy Spirit is the Apostle Paul. And so we've talked about that the gospel is God's rescue plan. And he saves us. He rescues us, he says, from this present evil age. And He's, he's sent Jesus. And, and Jesus has created a, a rescue for us. And it's actually this, this mystery for us because it's actually coming into a relationship with him that saves us. It's not just taking a hold of something he's done. It's actually coming into him, into this relational place in Christ that rescues us from this present evil age. We had a look at this present evil age and we saw that what was evil about this age was when we believe a lie as truth. It can be a good lie, a white lie, a nice lie. When we believe a lie as truth, it's evil because every time we believe as a lie as truth, it sets us up for a fall, it sets us up for pain, it sets us up for, for inner turmoil and outer turmoil. Because when you believe a lie is the truth, you cannot know the truth. It's going to miss you, and you're going to not know the truth about ourselves, about others, about relationships. oh, or we may get something that's close to the truth, but close to the truth is not the truth. And the devil doesn't mind a counterfeit truth, but he doesn't want the real truth of Jesus Christ. And so God rescues us from the lie uh, we, that has been signed into this world in the place of truth. Uh, we, we looked at, saw how, how how people had come in to distort the gospel, to distort the truth in the Galatian church. And Paul is writing this letter to confront that and rebuke that. We see how important it is to keep clear thinking and believing around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I was going to initially um, entitle this series of messages just simply this, Am I a Christian? Looking through Galatians, asking ourselves, Am I a Christian? According to scripture, am I? I, a Christian. I I thought that was a little bit too provocative. I don't mind being provocative, but that was a little bit too provocative. So I I sort of maybe give it a title. I I think I did last week. What defines us as Christian? What defines you as a Christian? Why do you consider yourself a Christian? If you do, you you may be visiting awakening. you may not consider yourself a Christian, but I am aware that most people who come into a church meeting like the one that Awaken this morning consider themselves a Christian. Why do you do? And my point and the point of Galatians is it's our faith in Jesus Christ alone. But that faith is a place of relationship, of connection, of living as if we were one. So I want to live on earth as one with Jesus, the Jesus who came to earth and the Jesus who is in heaven now. It's the same Jesus. And I want to live on earth as one with him. This is my faith. This is the truth I, I want to trust my life into. So today we're going to read Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. Uh, I think you may have already read them. We're going to look at them again. And, and we're just going to pick up some thoughts as we read through them. So I'm not going to read right through and then go back. beginning. I'll just start reading and we'll pick up thoughts As we go, and and we're just going to see what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us this morning. And and I ask that you would open your heart and say, Holy Spirit, help me to hear what you're saying to me, because it might be slightly different from what I'm saying to you. And once you know you've heard from him, are you willing to do something with it? Are you willing to to act on it, to change things because of it? Because that's what a Christian is. Someone who trusts that God is true and speaks truth. And then trust means we obey it. We act on it. I've had to do some things that are really hard. Um, and when I first started doing them, it just felt so wrong. But at a time, it became so right. As my soul caught up with the spirit. And I realized actually this was much better than what I had in mind. Back to the scripture, beginning with Galatians uh, chapter 2, reading from verse 1, and I'm reading again the English Standard Version. I don't mind what version you read, really. I just want to know how, how you're listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying as you read. So it's an interesting, we're going to read down to, um, oh, maybe verse 10 and, and pick that up and let's go back. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, brackets, though privately, because, though, because, but privately, before those who seemed influential, I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. Though he was Greek. Maybe maybe before I go on, I just want to go back and pick up that phrase at the start. Then after 14 years, what had been going on in this guy Paul's uh, life for 14 years? We read at the end of chapter one that after he came to know Jesus on this road to Damascus that we can read about in Acts chapter nine, that that he went on a little trip for three years into an area called Arabia, just out of Damascus somewhere. And and our understanding is he probably spent that three years re-looking at scripture and now seeing it through the revelation that this Jesus Christ was the Messiah that scripture was prophesying and starting to see how Jesus fulfilled scripture. This is so important to see the connection that that it's always that that this word of God, the scripture has been inspired to help us to see Jesus. And as we see Jesus, we see him in Scripture. Then he came back, it says, and he went to visit the apostles in Jerusalem. And you can read about this in Acts and a little bit in Galatians. And a guy called uh, Barnabas met him and introduced him to Peter and James and these guys leading the church there. And they spent, I think he said, 15 days with him and they explained the gospel. He went through it together. And, and they just, they added nothing to what he believed. But he was causing a bit of disruption in the church. People didn't like having him around because three years ago, he'd been persecuting Christians, arresting prisoners, he even stood there when one of them was um, killed by the crowd. And so they, they still went over the past. And so they asked him to leave. And he, he shot off up north from Jerusalem to a place called Tarsus, which we see as his hometown. And, and it's in an area near, near Galatia, Galatia, on the border in between, north of Antioch. And he hung out there. We don't know exactly what he did. For years, he hung out there. For years, he did nothing that we know about. And then after many years, a large number of years, a guy called Barnabas was sent up to Antioch because the church in Jerusalem heard that a church had begun in Antioch. I love that. I love that. They didn't send somewhere up to start the church. They heard the church is now in Antioch. And the church in Antioch is doing things different from how we do them in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the church was only pretty much amongst those of a Jewish heritage because that's who lived in Jerusalem. And everywhere the church had gone, all through Judea, the church had only been amongst those of a Jewish heritage. But in Antioch, there were people of a Jewish heritage and people of a Greek heritage meeting together and fellowshiping as one people in Jesus Christ. This was brand new. This hadn't happened. And and many of the Jews had a problem with this. Because they couldn't see how someone could come to know the God of Jesus, the Father of heaven, without also conforming to all the traditions that they built around their faith. Got to look like our denomination wants you to look. Got to look like our movement says you should look. Got to look like our heritage on earth says you should look. And and up there it wasn't happening like that. It was a new thing happening. So they sent Barnabas up. And he went up and he saw what was going on. He said, this is Jesus all the, way, all the way through. it. This is according to the scripture. And he blessed it. And, and he went off up to Tarsus it says, found this guy Paul, brought him down and he joined him in the ministry of being a teacher and a preacher of God's word in the church in Antioch. So that's what Paul showed. But in, later, later on, um, he, he went off planting churches up in Galatia. And now he's saying, after 14 years from when I first left Jerusalem, I now I'm going back to Jerusalem. 14 years of growing in my faith, of 14 years of going through the Torah every year. 14 years of reading the old scripture and seeing Christ in it and planting churches and seeing the church spread into new places in the last few. And there's a process to how we walk in Christ. When I began with Jesus, new life was conceived in me and in you. It's a miracle. It's amazing. It's spiritual, but it's very real in my flesh as well. But that which is conceived has to grow up and give birth to something new. That when Jesus was birthed as a baby, he, he was complete, but he wasn't grown up. And then he still had to grow up into another level of maturity. You know, when he was conceived within Mary, you could say, well, that was a perfect seed, that was a perfect baby. But he still had to grow to full term and be birthed as a baby. Now he's a baby, perfect baby, perfectly the son of God. But, but he's not yet revealed as the son of God. Then he had to grow up. We see him once in that period at 12 years old in the temple, talking scripture with the experts and confounding them. But he had to grow up. You see, what's going on for you? You're in a process of growing up in your faith in Jesus Christ. You're born as a son of God, but the son of God is not yet revealed until there's a growing up. Years went by and at 30, 30 years after he was born, the perfect son of God, the perfect seed, he was revealed as the son of God. And he still had to the Bible says, learn obedience to what he suffered. So you only learn obedience. You don't get obedience. It's not a gift. You learn obedience by being obedient. You pass the test of obedience by being obedient when it's hard testing to trust God, when it goes against everything else in your life. But I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. And so 14 years of testing and ministry for Paul, he's gone up and Barnabas has gone with him and they took Titus up with them, it says. Why? Because Titus was not a Jew. He was one of these Greeks who had believed. He hadn't ever been part of the the Jewish faith, the Moses-led faith. He had never been to the temple. That was foreign to him, but he had met Jesus. And he was now uh, one of the new young leaders coming on. And we find him later as a pastor of the church in Crete. And he takes them down and they meet privately with, as we read on, Peter, James and John. So I'm going to go back and read. For verse three, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. He said that they didn't want him to submit to all the ways of Judaism. They saw he knew Jesus. The Holy Spirit was at work in his life. He was as Christian as we were without the heritage we had. Man, we don't all have the same heritage, but we can all have the same faith and the same life in Christ today. Verse 4, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery. And to them, he says, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. This is so important. See, one of the main roles for people like myself as a minister, an elder, a leader in the church is to preserve the truth of the gospel. That, that's the main thing, well, pretty much the main thing I'm to do as the minister of awakened is to preserve the truth of the gospel, to intercede for it, to pray for it, to work for it, to counsel for it, to preach it, to teach it, to live it, to express it in my life, to conserve the truth of the gospel. That's what we're about. You yeah, know, I'm pretty good at alignment of organizations and things, and I, yeah, but well, my primary goal is, goal is not to run an organization. Is to preserve the truth of the gospel and to trust what the Holy Spirit is doing with the gospel in people's lives. So, so that, that's what Paul's doing here. He's working and fighting to preserve the truth of the gospel. Verse six. And from those who seem to be influential, brackets, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no Partiality. There's something here for you to pick up, but how church works, how you relate to people like myself as a minister and the elders, we seem to be influential. There's an accountability. Hey, but let's remember we're all on the same level when it comes to knowing Jesus and knowing the Father and knowing the Holy Spirit. Some of us have learned some more, have more maturity, different gifts, different roles the Holy Spirit's put us on the body. But we have a different standard of faith, a different level of faith. There's no partiality in God. On the contrary, verse 7, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised works also through me from mine to the Gentiles. So the circumcised is talking about those who'd grown up in Judaism, grown up as an Israelite, who'd been circumcised a child as a sign of their submission to all the law and the prophets and all the traditions and things around it. The uncircumcised, those who had not. Uh, the Bible might use the word Gentile. It, it, that's why it highlighted Titus as a Greek, from the uncircumcised. And so coming in, two, two different bodies of people initially making up the church. And verse nine, and when James, the apostle, the disciple James, the son of Alphaeus, and Cephas and John, the disciple Cephas, also called Peter, and John, the son of Zebedee, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So we've talked about the 14 years. We've talked a little bit about leadership. What we see here going on in the middle of this, this interesting phrase, verse 4, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. The gospel is tested. Every one of us is going to have to pass tests. The tests are, will we trust what God says is true? Will we trust God to be our source of truth? Or will we look somewhere else? These false brothers slipped in. Later on, it says they came from James. Whether they came from James or whether they saw themselves aligned with James, who, this James who we just mentioned, who gave Paul the white right hand of fellowship, saying, I don't want you to circumcise Titus. I don't require you to bring these ones who didn't grow up in Israel and make them Israelites so they can be Christians. We can walk together as Christians with different histories, different backgrounds, different traditions, but the same Jesus. And these people came and, and were saying, Come on, they don't come in to spy out whether you know Jesus. They're coming to spy out whether you agree with them. They've developed some strong beliefs, some opinions about how the gospel works, about what God wants or doesn't want, that they hold higher than than anything else almost. And they'll come into your church and they're spying out, what do you do that's right? What do you do that's wrong? And they come in as judges to, to pronounce judgment over what is wrong, what is right in the church. There was a young man years ago in Nelson who, who was about 18 and, and uh, he got on to some online teachers and he came in one day and he, he posted online. There's not one church in Nelson that preaches the true gospel. Facebook post. Fine. Have you been, you know, he knows this all better than we know ourselves. But sometimes, you know, they're not just young men. They do tend to primarily be men, I find, these sort of opinionated people. Sometimes they're older men. And we get stubborn about some aspect of truth. I've seen churches divided and split over so many things that are not the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we've welded to the gospel, someone's opinion. They hold higher than Jesus, and then they judge everyone over that. And they, 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 the fruit of it usually is a divisiveness, a brokenness, a, a shattering of faithfulness. And it is not the way of the gospel. It is not the way of God. You know, Jesus came to draw us together, not to break us apart. They come in to judge, not to confirm. Listen clearly. Listen clearly. The enemy of the church is Satan. Satan. And Jesus said, "He is working to accuse you, He is working to destroy you, He is working to twist truth, He is working to sow lies, He is working to steal away your faith in God as the source of truth." And he seems to be able to find many people to join him in His work of being an accuser and an intimidator and a judge. Please don't be one of them and please don't listen to them don't listen to them i'm just going to take you to a few verses in john john chapter 17 we're going to read from verse 14 i could read i could read this something like this from many many places a number of places both in jesus words and in the epistles i could illustrate it from the old testament John 17, 14, Jesus is speaking or praying to the Father with the 11 disciples. Judas is now gone. There's 11 left. And he says, I have given them your word. Hear that? Your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world he doesn't mean they're not part of the created order, but they're not of the systems and the thinkings and the ways of this world does think They're not of the governments. They're not of the cultures. They have the word of God as their source of truth. Nothing else. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of it, of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. See, the connection between the world and the evil one. He tells us in John, I think it's 8, that Satan is the prince of this world. That whether you're directly dealing with a demon or or whether you're just dealing with his influence through the world, he's still the source of the lies that want to keep us from knowing the truth in Jesus Christ. And he prays that they would be protected from the evil one. When, When Remember when Peter got tested? And uh, Jesus said, Satan has asked that he could sift you. Satan has asked if he could sift you. But but I'm going to pray for you that after you've gone through the sifting, you you would be strengthened to be able to strengthen the brother. See, Satan's going to sift you. And what's he sifting? He's sifting your trust in God as truth. That's what he's sifting. Will you hold on to and stand for the truth of the gospel and Jesus Christ, in your heart, in your mouth, in your choices of our lives. That's what's being sifted. We're on to there. Verse 16, they're not of the world, just as I am not of it. I love that word. Verse 17, here's where we're getting to. So there's this, this picture of being hated by the world, of protection from the enemy, and then sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. See, Paul is saying this is about the truth of the gospel in the Galatian church. And the work of the Holy Spirit is is to sanctify us in the truth. One of the works I'm joining with the Holy Spirit in right now is to bring truth that sanctifies you, it separates you from lies, it washes you free from lies, it clears things up in your head and in your heart, to bring about the truth of a clean heart, clean from lies, Trusting Jesus as truth, a pure heart with nothing else in it but the truth of faith in Jesus Christ. A pure heart, nothing to do with perfectionism. It's just one thing. It's pure because it's one thing. My trust that Jesus is the truth of God revealed. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So that's what we're about, and that's what Paul's about in Galatia. And then he says, "As you sent me into the world, so I send them." into the world. So got to get back into Galatians 2. And so we see this tension going on. And so what does Paul do? He's calm and he's, he says, I've taken Titus with me. We've had these people come and say, you're not right. You're not right. You're not right. And they said, OK, we think we are right. We've looked in the scripture. We know Jesus. We think we're right. But We're going to go back to Jerusalem. We're going to take Titus and we're going to sit with James, Cephas and John and say, look, if we're not right in what we're saying, here's how we're communicating the gospel. Here's an example of that gospel working out in a non-Jew and a non-Israelite and an uncircumcised person in the person of Titus. Please tell us, correct us, help us to see the truth. And they added nothing they added nothing. He says, they added nothing to me. They added nothing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, don't add something to Jesus in your life and call it the gospel. Just call it what it is, a lie, a distortion of the gospel, a trick of Satan to get you twisted up. One of the things Satan's lies do is they get us focused on ourselves. One of the things the gospel does, it draws our focus to Jesus Christ. The more you see Jesus, the less aware you are of yourself, and yet the more you find yourself. It's a mystery, and it's amazing, and it's great. But when you focus on yourself, you're going to find yourself losing Jesus. And Satan will come and say, how righteous are you? Well, it doesn't really matter how righteous I think I am. What matters is is my faith in Jesus Christ. And am I living in obedience to his revelation in my life? Remember, revelation, responsibility, accountability from last week. So God says it doesn't matter who these people are. No one gets to change the gospel. No one gets to add to Jesus. They added nothing to me. Verse you're not reading on from verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Cephas is Peter. That's the same person. Um, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, this is the issue. Not my preference, not my opinion, the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all, if you are a Jew, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? So we've got to ask yourself, what's going on with Peter? What is going on here? This is a, a something that happened before he's writing to the Galatians. It happened in Antioch. So when Paul and Barnabas had gone to Antioch, Peter obviously came to visit. But Peter has a backstory. You can read about it in, in Acts chapter, I think, 10. And uh, not, I think it really is in Acts chapter ten, when Peter has this this encounter with God, a vision, and then a visit from some men from a man called Cornelius, and the invitation to come to Cornelius's house, a non-Jew, a Roman centurion. See, Peter wouldn't have done that. He would have thought, "No, I don't go into them houses. I'm still living. He still lived largely within the traditions of the." Jewish heritage that he grew up in. He still was living out of his past, even though he was believing Jesus going into his future. It's like his past is overshadowing that. And here, eight, nine years after Pentecost, the gospel has still not got out of the Jews. Jesus said, you're gonna be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What he means is all people, but they still haven't got outside of their own people. And they're struggling with this. They, they, They don't know how to do it. They don't know what's going on, but also part of them is not too sure if they should, because that's not their past. So there's this echo from the past, this hangover from the past, this overshadowing of his past life over his Christ life. And so God gives him a revelation and, and he shows him um, that, that, no, no, you can go with Cornelius and he goes with Cornelius and he goes into his house and he teaches Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and there's an amazing move of God and Peter's, wow, and he goes back to the church in Jerusalem and says, look what happened to Caesarea, bang, criticism. What are you doing, fellowshipping with unbelievers? What are you doing, going to the homes of people who aren't Jews? We don't do that, remember. You know, we're followers of Yahweh and so on and so forth. And he says, No, 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 I've got to tell you what God did. And at the end of it all, they all celebrated that God was doing something new, something fresh, something different. Something that's according to scriptures, actually. Even back in the old, God brought them people into the story who were from outside. People like, Rahab, right people like Ruth, to just give two names. Uh, and so Peter's got, he knows. He knows that, that we don't have to become Israelites to be Christians. He's seen it. But now he's up in Antioch and these guys from James come. And this is before the, the above story, talking to James. And, and, and they're saying, Peter, what are you doing? Eating with Gentiles. Don't you know that we don't do that? And Peter says, oh, I, I don't want people to think badly of me. And somehow he justifies no longer doing it. Peter, the apostolic leader of the church, the one who is the disciple of Jesus, by his behavior, he's saying one thing, doing another thing. He's saying one thing, doing another thing. This is a big deal, you know. Here's an aside for me. Here's an aside. I, I, some of you, this is relevant too. Some of it might not be. My goal is that everything we do as church is in alignment with the gospel. We don't preach one message to people coming in and sitting in the seats and then another message and how we run the church. We want to run the church. We want to everything about us. We want to express the gospel. So, so my um, leadership practice, I try to align with the gospel. How does God lead me through the gospel? How do I lead others? It doesn't mean I'm good at it, but it's where I want to go. It's where I'm asking God to lead me and help me. We want the gospel to shape everything we are as a people, everything we are as a community, everything we are, even as an institutional entity. It's not two messages. It's one message. It's not just what we say. It's what we do in every part of our lives, how I bring up my family, how I live my life how I relate to my wife, everything comes into the gospel and flows out of the gospel. That, that's how I see it. And that's how I try to communicate it. And so Peter had been leading people astray. And even Barnabas, he's saying, was led astray. If you want a position of influence in the church, just remember, the higher your influence that God allows you to have, the, the higher the level of judgment or you know, responsibility you have before God. And, and so don't aspire to things. Let God take you there because he knows when you're ready. So Peter had to let his past overshadow his present and he is pleasing people, not just thinking about pleasing God. He's looking at keeping the peace amongst people rather than protecting the peace he has with God. You see, what's actually happening, because Paul uses strong language, he said Peter stood condemned. He didn't say I condemned him, he said he stood condemned, he condemned himself. He condemned himself, He, 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 he he was doing something he shouldn't have been doing and condemned himself. Why? We have to understand, and I'm going to introduce a thought here, and I'm not going to go too far with it. So if you don't understand it. Just allow yourself time over weeks and months and let the Holy Spirit help you, to God. And we'll come back to it as we go through Galatians. And the word is covenant. Peter had lived his whole life in a covenant set up by Moses a covenantal relationship with God. A covenant is is illustrated by marriage in the Bible, and it's probably the best illustration, so it's a metaphor for it. And so in a sense, Peter had been married to God through the covenant of Moses, and it was a covenant that had a beginning and an end. And it was a covenant that had a lot of what we do in it. But Jesus has come now, and Jesus said, I've brought a new covenant, a new covenant, and the old has passed away, but there's a new covenant. And now Peter is relating to God through a new covenant in Jesus Christ, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he stopped eating with the Gentiles, he was saying, just, just pause for a moment. He's saying, I just want to go back to the old covenant for a while. And I'm leaving the new covenant. See, so you can't have two at the same time. And Paul says in Romans chapter 7, he says it's like we died to the old one and now we are married again or connected again to the new one. It's like a wedding. It's like the old we were married to the old one but that wife is now dead in Christ so now we're married again to the new covenant in Christ and the new covenant comes alive in us by the Holy Spirit. So Peter's going back to his old wife. He's going back to his dead wife when he's, when, when he's got a living, live wife in Christ's it's a metaphor. And he, was condemned. he condemned himself. He, he's trying to find life and death. It condemns you. He's looking to the lie. That condemns you. It, it's not that God has to say, no, I'm going to condemn you for doing that. No, no. You condemned yourself by doing that. You brought it onto yourself. And uh, that's what Peter's doing. And Paul says, this is serious. And I've got to correct him. And he rebuked him publicly. And call them back to faith in Jesus Christ. I was going to read the last couple of verses here. Um, I'll just take one line out of the middle of verse uh, 16. He says, we also have believed in Jesus Christ. We also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. We've believed in Jesus. I want to invite you today to believe in Jesus, to come into covenant with Jesus, to to choose to respond to his invitation and say yes to Jesus. Come on, you, you don't have to please anybody. You don't have to pass any test except the test of will you trust your whole life to Jesus? Will you let him be the truth that speaks into your life and leads your life and changes your life and teaches you how to live on earth, teaches you how to relate to people, teaches you how to be you? Not all at once. There's a process of growing up, as we said at the start, but it's always consistent. The seed is sown and then the seed grows and then the seed bears fruit. Will you trust Jesus? Don't look around for people to follow. Look to Jesus. Don't come into a wake and thinking, oh, do I like the people here? I want to follow them. Look to Jesus. You're not here to follow a leader. Look to Jesus. Now the time has gone up on the uh, clock there and uh, we need to come to an end for this message. What defines our Christianity? Jesus. One thing. Trusting Jesus. So if what I have just said the scripture we just read is really God's word. What changes would you have to make in your life? And who are you going to tell about them? Who are you going to tell the story to? Who are you going to share that with? Responsibility and accountability. Father God, I pray for every person sitting here at Awaken Today, and listening to your word. And I know, Holy Spirit, you've been working, and my prayer is that for each one of them, you will protect them from the enemy, and you would sanctify them with the truth of your word, the truth of Jesus Christ. And they would find freedom in you, they would find hope in you, they would find peace in you, And Father, I pray for each one now who's struggling in their bodies with any forms of sickness and illness and distress. And I pray each of them would experience a healing touch of your mercy and grace in their bodies this morning and a new freedom of health and well-being in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys. That's me for today. Uh, Have a a great uh, time and a great week. Bye.